So in Mark chapter 12, verse 13, And they send unto him certain of the Pharisees and of the Herodians to catch him in his words. And when they were come, they say unto him, Master, we know that thou art true, and carest for no man. For thou regardest not the person of men, but teachest the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? Shall we give or shall we not give? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said unto them, Why tempt ye me? Bring me a penny that I may see it. And they brought it. And he saith unto them, Whose is this image and superscription? And they said unto him, Caesar's. And Jesus answering said unto them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Then come unto him the Sadducees, which say there is no resurrection. And they asked him, saying, Master, Moses wrote unto us, If a man's brother die, and leave his wife behind him, and leave no children, that his brother should take his wife, and raise up seed unto his brother. Now there were seven brethren, and the first took a wife, and dying left no seed. And the second took her, and died, neither left he any seed. And the third likewise. And the seven had her, and left no seed. Last of all, the woman died also. In the resurrection, therefore, when they shall rise, whose wife shall she be of them? For the seven had her to wife. And Jesus answering said unto them, Do ye not therefore err, because ye know not the scriptures, neither the power of God? For when they shall rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels which are in heaven. And as touching the dead, that they rise, have you not read in the book of Moses, how in the bush God spake unto him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? He is not God of the dead, but the God of the living. Ye do therefore greatly err. They wanted to quote the law of Moses. Jesus said, let's talk about the law of Moses. Let's look at what the Bible says. Let's look at what the scripture says. Mm -hmm. He winds up making them look pretty foolish. Jesus in Mark chapter 12 is teaching in the temple. He has had the triumphal entry that we celebrate on Palm Sunday where the people chanted, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. He has entered the temple. He has confronted the merchants and the money changers and driven them out of the temple. He has confronted the religious leaders. He called out the religious leaders for their rebellion against God. And at this point, by the time we get to this point in the scriptures, the sides have been chosen. The lines have been drawn in the sand. And you have Jesus and you have his disciples and you have those who believe in him and you have the religious leaders who are opposed to Jesus and who are and their followers and who are trying to find a way to discredit Jesus. The religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and the Herodians are on a mission. They need to find a way not only to discredit Jesus, but to destroy Jesus. And so they are looking for a way in which they can get rid of him once and for all. They are in opposition to Christ. They are, they are fighting against Jesus. This is something uh, 
Brother Jim mentioned at some points in the Gospels when Jesus was alive, Paul was very likely there engaged in these discussions. You don't see his name. But he was a leader of the Jewish religious leaders. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was in the upper echelon, so to speak. Jesus told Paul, then known as Saul, in Acts chapter 9, it is hard for you to kick against the pricks. How futile and painful it was for Paul to fight against Jesus. And that's what these Pharisees are doing. It's very self-destructive. It's very destructive. They are making things worse for themselves and everybody around them. And we look back on this after reading these scriptures and after seeing Jesus nailed to the cross. We see him buried. We see him rise again. We see the judgment that comes upon them. We see how he fulfilled the scriptures. We see how he spoke truth and he spoke love and he spoke grace and he spoke redemption and restoration. And we say, how on earth could these guys have been against this? Guys, I mean, sure, you may lose some of your prestige, but the kingdom gets restored. You don't have to worry about the Romans anymore. What's wrong with you? Why can't you see the value in that? Why is that not a good idea to you? Yeah. Those guys were really stupid, weren't they? But as we've been talking over the past several weeks, the attitudes and the mindsets that give seed to such behavior, that water such behavior, that germinate such behavior, those same attitudes exist today. And it exists in our hearts. And it exists in the hearts of many people who claim Christ as their Savior. The destructive behavior of the Pharisees may seem extreme, but it began with a mentality that is very common in today's time. It's a self-centered mentality. A self-centered mentality says, what am I getting out of this deal? What's coming to me? What's mine? What's my payoff? And there's a multi-million dollar industry convincing people that there is a financial and a material payoff. What's my payoff? What am I getting out of this? How important am I? Do I receive the greetings? Do I have the titles? Am I properly revered? Do people know how great I am? Last Tuesday night, the early Longhorns played a playoff game at the Coliseum and I'm waiting in line to buy a ticket. Y'all know how long it had been since I bought a ticket to a high school basketball game? A long time. Because when you're in broadcasting and you broadcast the game, they let you in for free. Well, I've been out of broadcasting for a couple of years now, so I don't get in free. And the, the man behind me said, um, they're not letting you in for free? And I said, no, when you've been off the air for a couple of years, the don't you know who I am argument starts to lose its clout. Right? And nobody cares you're a city councilman. Um, And that's okay. I mean, I'm having fun with this. The man's wife is a a school board member. She was paying to get in, too. We're just just laughing and having fun. Um, But, you know, there is that, don't you know who I am, right? I'm normally treated better than this. I get special treatment. You know, that's that's that self-centered mentality. Don't you know who I am? Am I getting the credit? That was my idea. Why didn't they give me the credit for it? They should name that park after me. I, it was my idea to build it. They, you know, people just don't understand what all I do for them. 
These are self-centered mentalities. And these are the self-centered mentalities that Pharisees had. What am I getting out of it? Am I getting my financial blessing? Do, do, do I have my, do I, am I getting my profit? Am I profiting off of this? Uh, don't you know who I am? I am the chief scribe of the third division of the Sanhedrin Council or whatever title they had, right? Don't you know who I am? They love the, Jesus told them they love the greetings in the marketplaces where people come up and call them Reverend Doctor. Okay, maybe I need to quit picking on that one. But, you know, you know um, when I was in seminary, I was a first-year seminary student, and I went to go preach at this little church in the backwoods of East Texas. Love those piney woods, backwoods churches. You know, the kind that there's pine straw on the roof with a couple of uh, pine cones up there. And there's, I don't know, to me, there's just a certain weird, safe feeling about being in the woods. The, the woods have the opposite effect on my family, but, but I like them. And, um, and so I'm preaching at this little country church in the middle of the East Texas piney woods. And the deacon invites me over to lunch. And, I mean, I'm talking fried chicken, mashed potatoes, casseroles, scalloped potatoes, pecan pie. It's pecan, by the way, pecan pie. I mean, they have laid out this spread. And he keeps referring to me because the entire family, those that, even, those that went to other churches, everybody comes to this guy's house for lunch. And he keeps introducing, hey, y'all, this is the preacher. This is the preacher. He kept calling me the preacher. Now I want to tell you, as a first year of seminary student, that was firing me up. You know, <laughs> love the titles, love the chief greetings. Right? I may be telling y'all a little bit too much about myself. Um, am I getting the credit? All right. The Pharisees, they wanted the credit. The problem the Pharisees had with Jesus was he threatened their position of being high priest, of being assistant high priest, of being Sanhedrin council member. They were threatened for the same reason King Herod was threatened back in Matthew chapter 2, when the wise men showed up and said, where is he that's born king of the Jews? Mm -hmm. And when Herod heard this, the Bible says he was greatly troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Why? Because business as usual is about to change, and he's about to lose his position. And that's what they were all about. I mean, if some redneck child was born somewhere claiming to be the king of Israel, it wouldn't have bothered Herod so much. When those wise men showed up saying, where is he is born, the king of the Jews, he knew exactly what they were talking about. Mm -hmm. And these dudes are coming in for, from a foreign country, and, you know, there's a, there's a star leading them, and, uh-oh, you know, we've got to do something. And so that, that's the Pharisees, and that's King Herod. But it's us, too, if we are self-centered. And so we may not go out in the streets and say, Jesus must die. But we may find ourselves in opposition to him. We may find ourselves working against him. We may find ourselves blaspheming him. We may find ourselves creating destruction in our lives, in our families' lives, in our churches' lives, because it's all about us. It's a self-centered mentality. It's a faithless mentality, a mentality of tangibility. I've got to have it in my hands. What do I have in the here and now? An inability to see things from the heavenly perspective. The Pharisees couldn't see things from a heavenly perspective. They couldn't see the blessings of the kingdom of God. What would it be like without the Romans? What would it be like with Christ on his throne? They couldn't see that. All they could see is, I might not have my council position anymore. You know, 
<laughs> Franklin D. Roosevelt's vice president famously said the vice presidency is worth a bucket of worm spit. You know, it's, you're the second most, you're second highest on the totem pole in the United States, but what's it worth? And if Jesus came back, that's, that's going to be those guys' position. What do I have in the here and now? I can't see it from a heavenly perspective. And I tell you, I've been guilty of that mentality too. Going through seminary, sitting in a seminary classroom, Brother Cully says, you know, by the way I see it, Jesus is going to come back in two years. I'm in my first year of a four-year track. I'm doing the math. I'll never graduate from this place. What's the point of even being here? You know, I couldn't see the heavenly perspective. Wouldn't it be great if Jesus came back and I lost my job as pastor? Wouldn't that be awesome? Be hey, you're, you're a little too happy about me losing my job. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Um, I don't have to counsel with somebody because... Their spouse just left them or their dad just left or because somebody just and somebody close to them just died. We, if, if Jesus came back and I lost my job as pastor, I wouldn't have to pray over a patient with cancer anymore. You know why? Because there wouldn't be no cancer. It's not that I'm being relieved of my duties. It's that I'm no longer needed because there's no more cancer. There's no more daddies leaving. There's no more children being abused. There's no more crime in the streets. I'm still preaching his, his greatness. But those pastoral duties of walking people through the pain are no longer, it's obsolete because there's no more pain. Right? That's the heavenly perspective. So if any of you kids ever go to, to uh, seminary, pray that you never get to graduate. That, that what you're preparing yourself for becomes obsolete before you graduate. That's a blessing. So this passage where we've got these Pharisees approaching Jesus, these Sadducees approaching Jesus, it shows the effects of that mentality. These guys are so self-deluded, they're trying to fight against God himself, and they are going to wind up giving their lives and their eternal destinies as a result. So we need to avoid that mentality. Three things to avoid that mentality. First of all, and hear what I mean by this, avoid the politics. Now that doesn't mean that you can't be politically active. That does not mean that we don't stand up for political causes that are righteous. This does not mean you can't speak out against abortion. When I'm talking about avoiding the politics, I'm talking about the tribalism and the who's joining which side, my side versus his side mentality. We're seeing a lot of that in our political sphere today. You see that in the Republican Party. There's two or three different factions of the Republican Party. And you're either on my side or you're against me. And if you're not in my faction of the Republican Party, then you might as well be a Democrat. All right? Democrats are like that too, by the way. They're having the same thing happening over there. So I guess I just gave myself away on that one. Um, but there's divisions in the Democratic Party where if you're not my kind of Democrat, then you might as well be a Republican. Oh, let's just be peaceful and be libertarians. Those dudes are crazy too. If you're not my kind of libertarian, you might as well be a communist. I mean, and so this is... This, this, this is tribalism. This is politics. And we see this in the political sphere, and I'm not going to talk to you about Washington or Austin today. I'm going to talk to you about how we divide amongst ourselves. Yes. And so we need to avoid that. Yes. Okay? Secondly, we need to see the heavenly perspective. And thirdly, and this is something we say we do, but we might not do as much as we think, 
look forward to God's kingdom. Amen. So let's avoid the politics. Verse 14. And when they were come, they say unto him, Master, we know that thou art true and carest for no man. For thou regardest not the person of men, but teachest the way of God in truth. Now, admittedly, this is the buttering Jesus up so they can hit him with a trap. All right. We know that you're not a regarder of person, that you teach the truth no matter who is standing. Oh, you're so good. There we go. And people do that to you and you know it's coming, right? Your kids may do that to you. Oh, Dad, you're so wonderful. What you want? Can we go to the movies? Go for it. Wait, what are y'all watching? Uh, no. Um, but even though these words are spoken with impure motive, they're still the truth. Jesus did not regard the person of men. What that means is he didn't take into consideration a person's social standing. He didn't say, I'm going to listen to this guy. He's a member of the country club. I don't have time for that guy because, well, he's kind of a loser. He didn't regard the person's social standing. He didn't regard their wealth. Oh, man, this guy could be a really good donor. We need to really butter him up, right? No, no, he didn't regard their wealth. He didn't regard their, their political affiliations. Oh, I like this guy. He's a, he's a real conservative. Oh, no, he's with that establishment crowd. Oh, no, they're a Democrat. Get them out of here. He didn't regard the, the, the person. He didn't regard the person of men, who they were, what their backgrounds were. It didn't affect the way he treated them because we're all sinners separated by our sin from God. He taught the way of God and truth. His teaching was not to attract and please those who would help Jesus build his kingdom. He was not after those who could help him finance the deal. We've got a, we've got a missionary over in Clovis, New Mexico. He was called to a mission up there. By the time he got up there, they had been able to build a building, and they had the building debt-free. But through some different hardships and pastors leaving, their congregation size had dwindled to five. And the five members they had were extremely elderly. And when they gave, they gave the widow's last mite. And he goes there. And one of his friends said, you know, brother, you can't build a church with people like that. That's awful. That's exactly how these Pharisees would have thought. Jesus didn't think like that. Jesus, we're going to get into who his disciples were. Not only were they simple country people, fishers of men and what have you, some of them had some dubious backgrounds. I mean, he did not regard the person of men because we're all the same. The teaching that Jesus gave was to teach sinners to repent and to enter the kingdom. He taught everyone to repent. He taught everyone to believe. He taught everyone to turn from their sins and to trust God for salvation and to look to him for redemption. Whether it was the harlot, the publican, the sinners, the people that hung around Matthew's table, or whether it was the high up Pharisee. Even Caiaphas, the high priest. The way of salvation, the call, the standard of God, the teaching, mm -hmm. that was all the same. You are a sinner. You're a sinner because you've broken God's law. And if I take you through the Ten Commandments, you will have broken every one of them. 
Have you ever used God's name as a cuss word? Have you ever used God's name where God's name had no business being? You may not have used God as a cuss word, but did you ever attribute anything to God that was not God? Have you ever come up with your own concept of God and worshipped that? To me, God is like this. Have you ever profaned the Sabbath? Have you ever dishonored your parents? Have you ever killed anybody? You say, okay, I got that. I passed one. And Jesus said unrighteous anger is the same as murder in your heart. Yeah. It's, the, it's the same heart condition. You, you elevate it to that level. I've murdered several people. And Jesus said if you look upon a woman to lust after her, you have committed adultery with her in your heart. It's because that's w what you are. You're an adulterer. Almost every guy you talk to will say he's done that. You ever told a lie? You ever take anything that didn't belong to you? You ever coveted something someone else had? Brother Jim likes to make jokes about a certain Jeep. Sometimes it's social standing. Sometimes it's lifestyle. You know? It's covetousness. And I didn't even go through them all. Every one of them I just listened to you, I've broken when you measure our lives by God's standard, we're all sinners. Yes. And we're not just sinners by proclamation, but we're sinners because we actually did it. Yes. And when you add them all up, we're, you add them all up and you put it in light of God's perfect holiness, we're all really wretched sinners. Now, I'm not trying to run you down. I'm trying to show you the need of God's redemption, of his salvation, of the price that Jesus paid on the cross, of his forgiveness. That's the only reason I bring this up, is to show that need. And that's what Jesus was preaching. Because the, the words I've told you, that if you hate somebody, you've murdered them in your heart, those are words of Jesus. That if you look upon a woman with lust in your heart, that's adultery. And it's about who you are in your person. When you boil away all the goodness, all the... All the good little deeds we do and all the right little words we say and all of our good little habits of going to church, when you boil it all down, you get down to our heart. Without Christ, that's who we are. I don't read many novels. And when I do, they tend to be more philosophical. Um, but I will say that there is one thing that, and I don't read Stephen King. And I don't recommend anybody read Stephen King. But when you boil his books down, what's he doing? He's showing you just how evil everyday people can be. And on that regard, he's not wrong. It's who we are. The only way we change is by confessing that, turning from that, and turning to Jesus for forgiveness and for transformation and reconciliation. And Jesus works within our hearts to transform our hearts into something better. That's why David wrote, create me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. He's wanting that transformation of his heart because he saw just how evil his sin was. And it wasn't circumstances or extenuating situations. He saw that that came from his own imagination. That's who we are. And that's what Jesus taught. And this was provocative to the people of that day. 
because the high priest felt that he had attained a certain level of righteousness. These Pharisees on the Sanhedrin, they had overcome to a certain extent. Jesus ought to at least acknowledge that they're good people, that, that they are not the same wretched sinners. The, 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 the men who brought the woman taken in adultery in our Sunday school class, that she, she's an adulteress. She's horrible. She's doing really dirty things. And Jesus is telling them, you're guilty of the same thing. They didn't like that. I'm better. I'm better than the crackhead. I'm better than the meth head. I'm better than the bank robber. People don't like to be told they're sinners. Had a conversation about sexual immorality and homosexuality. And I talked about God's will for sexuality. Sex in marriage, only in marriage. One wife for life. Here we go. Well, what about homosexuals? I said, well, let's go back to the law of God. And by the time we got through that, she says, you're telling me that homosexuals are just as bad as an adulterer or a murderer? I hate you for that. She, she gave me some pretty creative, and this is not anybody y'all would know, but she gave me some pretty creative language of what I could do with my Bible, which was quite comical because I'm not even sure it's possible. But... But people don't like being told they're sinners. And that's true in today's time, just as it was true in Jesus' day. People want to believe that they're basically good. And they want to believe that they've somehow attained a higher level than everybody else around them. And that's why the Pharisees hated Jesus. That's one of the reasons they hated Jesus. The Bible says in Romans 2.11, there is no respect of persons with God. That was written to people who were looking down on the sin of others as if they had no sin themselves. When we have respect of persons, we think in terms of politics and who's on our team and have a tendency to justify our own sin while condemning the sin of others. Yeah, y'all don't like me talking about Donald Trump. Yeah, we, we like, but, but you would like me to talk about Bill Clinton. There's an adulterer, right? But if I mention some of the things that Donald Trump has bragged about, I'm supposed to understand that it's different, right? No, sin is sin. Amen. So we can't sit here and lament that our country is going downhill because we elected an adulterer in 1992 and then elect one in 2016 and say, well, we're not electing a pastor-in-chief, we're electing a commander-in-chief. Now, has he repented? I'm, I'm not going to go into his spirituality, and, and I'm not going to sit here and try to tell you whether he's justified before God and whether he's repented and whether he's been saved. I'm not going to try to, to parse that out for you. I'm just saying when we talk about the act itself, when we talk about the condition itself, we don't make excuses for one and not the other because God is not a respecter of persons. We're going to be all measured by his standard. What Jesus was likely riding in the dirt when the woman was taken in adultery was what makes you guys any different? What makes your sin any different? We're all saved by grace through faith. So when we have respect of persons, when we play the politics, we are disregarding the grace of God. Therefore, we need to avoid the politics, but not being a respecter of person. Now, granted, I'm not telling you not to vote. Vote. 
I'm not telling you not to stand up for righteous causes. Stand up for righteous causes. What I'm telling you not to do is not to be joined to a team to the point that your team can do no wrong while you're condemning the sin of the other team. That's what these Pharisees are doing. And we can do that in terms of politics. You understand it in politics because you see it play out in your own eyes. We do that in church. We do that with different groups in the church, but maybe not here. We don't seem to have the divisions here that a lot of churches have. But as we grow, those situations may arise. But we, we, we do that. We have to be careful that we don't because God is not a respecter of persons. We all stand before him. Yes, Sinners. Yes. Convicted. Yes. Guilty. The question is, has the blood of Jesus Christ to pay for sin been credited to your account? And that comes through repentance and faith. So, avoid the politics. See things from a heavenly perspective. Verse 17, And Jesus answering said unto them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Here, one of the Pharisees is playing politics. There were many followers of Jesus, some among the twelve, who were zealots. Y'all know what a zealot is in that day? These dudes, they did not recognize Roman authority. They did not recognize any authority other than Israel's authority and God's kingdom's authority. And they resorted to violence to do that. Jesus had a couple of these zealots in his inner twelve. One of them has even named it, Simon the Zealot. It's what he was known for. Jesus, you could make the argument, Jesus had a known terrorist in his group. These Pharisees knew who these guys were. This one goes up there, he says, Is it lawful to, to pay tribute to Caesar? Now, if Jesus had said, pay the taxes... This may have alienated some of his followers and could have caused Jesus some problems. If Jesus answered, don't pay the taxes, we got a problem. Because the Romans took that very seriously. Jesus could have stood on the Mount of Olives and said, somebody needs to attack that Roman fortress down there. And the Romans would have figured, oh, there's some Jew up on the Mount of Olives spouting off. Jesus stands on the Mount of Olives and says, don't pay tribute to Caesar they're sending in the troops. And so if Jesus had answered, don't pay the taxes, the Romans would have taken care of him. And that might have been what this guy was after. We'll put him between the zealots and the Romans. And maybe one of them will take him out. Instead, Jesus pointed out the image of Caesar on the coin. Mm -hmm. Whose picture is this? Caesar's? Whose inscription is this? Caesar? Then it must be Caesar's. Mm -hmm. Render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, and unto God that which is God's. Had somebody quote that verse to me and tell me that I ought to enjoy paying taxes because Jesus said, render unto Caesar. Okay, number one, if you're going to call the, the American government Caesar, Caesar's given us a lot of exemptions to claim. So claim every one of them. And two, we actually have the ability to redefine through elections and through the electoral po uh, process what Caesar can claim for himself. Influence that if you want to as well. But this is not a dissertation on tax policy. 
this is the Pharisees looking at things from an earthly perspective. Mm -hmm. Jesus is reminding us of the heavenly perspective. You see, we can get caught up in the here and now and the day-to-day -day arguments and the discussions here and lose sight of what's really important. Name a U.S. election. Because we're going through election season. Name a U.S. election where the cause of Christ was advanced by the outcome of the election. Now, we might have gone through a spiritual revival, but did the election have that consequence? Have we ever had an election in the United States where the cause of Christ was advanced? What is the eternal value of your career? When your career is over years from now and you're in the presence of the Lord, what eternal value does your career have? There are things that we do on earth that are important from an earthly perspective. Voting is important. Advocating for the right political cause is important. Your career is important. Providing for your family is important. It's all important from an earthly perspective. And it's okay to do things that are important from an earthly perspective. I'm not preaching against your careers. We just need to remember what goes in each lane. My career is important because I'm able to provide for my family through that career. Yours is the same. You're able to do a lot of good for a lot of different people in your career. And that's good. I don't care what your career is. I mean, I can go down the list and I can tell Brother Jerry, in your career, here's how you're helping people. I can tell Brother Ed in your career, in, in your career, Brother Doug, in real estate and, 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 uh, and Brother Frank and, and real estate development. I mean, I can go through and I can point out every one of your career, every one of y'all's had a career. But I'm just a stay-at-home mom. And let me tell you something. The hand that rocks the cradle rules the world, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, and these, these are all important. These are all important from an earthly perspective. And we need to tend to that because, I mean, after all, farming is important from an earthly perspective. And we say that, well, we need to ignore all things earthly. Then we quit farming. We don't have no food, right? So that's important. Just, just don't lose sight of what's important to God. Amen. And what's important to God is our faith, our devotion, and our working to advance his kingdom. And what do I mean by that? I mean by advancing his kingdom, we're talking about spreading the gospel and leading other people to salvation. That's it. And you may be able to do that in your career. You may have opportunities to reach people through your career. Just don't lose sight of what's important to God. And then finally, let's look forward to God's kingdom. Yes. The Sadducees asked Jesus about a man who had been legitimate. Excuse me. I can't even read my own handwriting. You're right, Brother Frank. It's, it's, it's hieroglyphics. The Sadducees asked Jesus about a woman who had been legitimately married to seven men during her life on earth. And when they all go to heaven, Jesus, what you're saying about resurrection, if that's all true and they all go to heaven, who's... Wife is she going to be? And Jesus said, you don't even know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. See, the Sadducees didn't believe in a kingdom. They didn't believe in a resurrection. They didn't believe in a heaven or hell. For the Sadducees, they only believed in the here and now, the life that we have on this earth. And the, the, the pretense of following the law on this earth was to have a good life here. But there was no heaven. There was no resurrection. And the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 
if there's no resurrection, then why are we going through all this? Why are we suffering the persecution? If there's no resurrection, then we are men most miserable, right? But there is a resurrection. See, for the Sadducees, if there was a resurrection, they got a problem. Because they're not prepared for it. And Jesus confronted this in verses 26 and 27. He said, And as touching the dead that they rise, ye, have you not read in the book of Moses how in the bush God spake unto him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Ye do greatly err. The way God introduced himself to Moses indicates that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were not dead, but still alive. They didn't die. They just went home. If they are still alive, then the resurrection is real. The resurrection being real means Christ is returning to establish his kingdom. And we will either face Christ in judgment, or we will be welcomed into his kingdom as his children. It's all whether you repent and believe. 